We've been following the growth and development of the first church through our study of the book of Acts. And uh, in particularly, we've noted how it's evolved from a Jewish community into a community of faith that is actually uniquely Christian. For instance, Luke has recorded how the one perfect sacrifice of Christ uh, abolished the need for the sacrificial system of the law and rendered also obsolete the purification rites and rituals. And as, as this unique community of faith developed and grew, we, we began to see a growing sense of identity and loyalty and commitment within its membership. And today is, is really, uh, the passage that we'll look at is, is really an indication maybe of one of the sort of the first tests of that unity and that loyalty, that oneness that they're feeling as being part of the Christian community. So I'm just going to pick up the narrative here in chapter 11. The words will be up on the screen here. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. Tell them the good news about the Lord Jesus, telling the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but these names just kind of, you know, I'm not an expert in the Mediterranean, but uh, sometimes it's just good to see a map. And uh, so you can see the circle there is Jerusalem and Judea. And so as the persecution came, uh, starting with the martyrdom of Stephen, the Christians fled and they were, they were dispersed. And it's a, it's a great testament, actually, to the way in which God can redeem uh, good from bad. Because even though the Christians were being persecuted and having to flee, that disbursement actually grew the church. And many, many more people, including non-Jews, Gentiles, began to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's like that. He redeems things. He takes that which is bad and he makes good from it. We know that, don't we, in our own personal lives. So let me continue by um, reading on. Now, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch, where he arrived and saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had, done, God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So that's where you see that identity starting to form. What is this new covenant uh, with God creating? Well, it's creating a new 
community with its own unique identity, its own uh, standards, its own basis of faith, its own doctrine. And it was called Christian, followers of Christ. Now, during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. I don't think that there's any greater test that we are faced with in regards to our commitment than our money. <laughs> you know? We can be committed to something, we can be enthusiastic about something, but if they want my money, maybe not so much. And this is a test of this early church. Particularly it's noteworthy because this church in Antioch, we've just read, consists of not just Jewish converts to Christianity, which most of the folks in Jerusalem would be, but it also consisted of Gentile Christians, people who had for a long time been despised by the Jews, looked down upon by the Jews. And yet, it seems that they passed this test with flying colors because they decided to dig deep and provide a financial support, relief for their brothers and sisters back in Jerusalem who were suffering underneath this, uh, this dark time of famine. This idea of the identity of the church being formed from Jewish converts and Gentile converts is something that Paul writes a book about in the book of Ephesians. Grace, Christ is able to redeem. Christ is able to bring good from bad, peace from hostility. And we read here in Ephesians, Paul writes, For he himself is our peace. He, Jesus Christ, is our peace who has made the two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And so Christ was building his church, and it was going to be a church that had its own unique identity. It was a church made up of all peoples from all lands. What united them was Christ, and they identified as Christians. So let's just talk about this gift, this gift offering that they took up. This uh, gift was not limited to the church in Antioch. As a matter of fact, it became sort of a rallying call amongst all of the churches that were dispersed out and about the Mediterranean. People were, the churches were taking up a collection to send money with Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem to help our bro the brothers who were suffering there. 
One of the churches was Corinth. We have a map of where that is here too. Corinth is in Greece. And so you can see how far from Jerusalem the gospel and Christianity and the church is spreading. And so Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he started to write about this offering that the churches were taking up. And he encouraged them to excel in the grace of giving. We read in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Well, I don't know about you, but I love... I love the word grace. Actually, I love the name grace. I always, you know, if I meet a kid, basketball, and they say, my name's Grace, I say, oh, that's a special name. I love grace. Grace is a wonderful thing. It's, it's the thought of receiving favor for just being. <laughs> it, 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 it's favor that comes to us with no strings attached, no expectations, uh, no expectation of re reciprocation, no need to earn that grace or that gift. It's pure and simple, an unwarranted gift. It's a sacrificial, totally other-centered gift that is grace. And it comes to us in so many different ways. When I was the uh, general director of Camp Iowa, when we first went there, I guess one of the reasons I went there was that um, it was not doing well. Um, and my feeling is that it had fallen into a place of ungrace. Uh, the ungrace was felt in uh, procedures, you know, kind of not treating people well as they registered or... Um, uh, just, just the policies and procedures that existed that maybe were off-putting. So grace was experienced, uh, the ungrace was experienced through, through procedural things. The facilities were um, starting to come around, but were still, you know, needed attention. Uh, the service that was being provided through the camp was, I felt, really um, not gracious. <laughs> Um, and so one of the things I really felt led to do was to make that sort of our mantra, that Iowa would be a place of grace. And so we, you know, we changed the logo, Iowa, place of grace. And so in everything we did, did we tried to be gracious and spread the grace of God. So whether it was the grace of God in the way we serve people, just lavishing on them um, our favor and a blessing to them. Whether it was the facilities that they came into, we tried to you know spruce them up and, and we had limited budgets, but we tried our best to make them very comfortable and nice and clean. In our procedures, we tried to be as welcoming and, and, and making people feel at home. You see, because grace can come to us in so many different ways. Procedures, facilities. Uh, the one thing I didn't have to change was the grace of the place, and that was the beautiful surroundings. 
it, it was just, <laughs> I, I think that we couldn't have messed that up because that was a Godbury. But it was a gorgeous 200 acres of property. And so you just felt a grace. You felt a, a favor. You felt treated well just walking onto that property because it was so beautiful. So we experience grace in a variety of, of different ways. And our experience was that just as we tried to lavish people with grace, the grace of God, in all of those different ways, we found that we received grace. We experienced grace in the giving of grace. And I think that this is an important aspect to this idea of excelling at the grace of giving, is to keep our hearts and minds open to being gracious in giving, but also having our hearts open to what we experience in return. And so I'm going to take a look at, we're going to take a look at just very quickly, just a snapshot of some of the things that Paul says that give us insights into how the recipients of this gift would be graced, but how also the givers of the grace would be graced, if you will. And so, the recipients, well, I mean, that's the most obvious, right? The most obvious consequence of gracious giving is that people feel blessed because they've received something. And they're obviously blessed by, by the gift, whatever it is, whatever shape or form it takes. Um, they're, they're blessed by the grace afforded them by the giver. But I think it goes beyond that, too. And Paul writes about this in, in 2 Corinthians. The grace of giving extends empathy. He writes in 2 Corinthians 8, our desire is not for, that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there, there might be equality. See, he's writing about this gift that they're collecting for the people of Judea. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. You see, the, the tr tragedy of ungracious giving is that we can be motivated by an ungrace, and that is an attitude of condescension, an attitude of hierarchy, so that if I'm the giver, I am going to give to you, and so in a sense, you are kind of indebted to me. That has nothing to do with excelling in the grace of giving. What he says here, basically, is the old adage. Don't forget, there, but for the grace of God, go on. And so at some point, you might be the recipient. And therefore, there is no place for, for, for giving that is not promoting an empathy and a sense that we are one and there's equality. And right now, I can help, but someday I may need your help. Another thing that Paul writes about when he's writing to them about giving this gift, he says that the gift will also extend hope. He writes in chapter 9, verses 12 to 13. 
This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people in Judea, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. You see, excelling in the grace of giving is a witness to the supernatural transformation of Jesus Christ in a person's life. Because giving graciously is not in our nature. The Bible says that by nature we are sinful and basically self-serving. And so when someone excels in the grace of giving, it's a witness, it's a testament to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit in someone that can transform them and make them like Christ. And it stands out. It stands out in an indulgent and self-centered world which we live in. And then finally, as far as the recipient receiving that grace, the recipient's faith is also built up. It builds up the faith of others. This is what Paul wrote. He was writing actually at this instant about the Macedonian church, churches, and they were giving, and, and they themselves were dirt poor. <laughs> and, and so he's talking about that incident, incidents, and he says these words, for I testify that they, that's the Macedonian churches, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. You see, as people witness people excelling in the grace of giving, other people's faith is built up. Because they look and, and they see a grace that exceeds expectations. And that can only be accounted for, really, because of the grace of God. And so, as far as the recipients are concerned, the grace of giving and excelling in the grace of giving, uh, the recipient is blessed by, of course, the gift. Uh, also by the empathy that they experience of being at one and, and knowing that they may in turn be able to help somebody in return at some point. Um, they have the grace of hope that only Christ gives through the gospel and they also have their faith increased. So let's take a look now just at the less obvious account and that is Paul talks about the giver the one who gives the grace or gives the gift and what grace they experience. So Paul writes that they are given this wonderful gift of identity with Christ. You see, one of the things that we as Christians all aspire to is to be like Christ. And so in 2 Corinthians 8, 8-9, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I want you to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that through, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. You see, if, if you want to identify with, with Christ, as we read just earlier from Ephesians, in grace he gave us all of that good stuff that I, wrote, uh, that I, that I read about. Um, if we want to be excelling in the grace of giving, as we do that, we identify with Christ. We become more like Christ because he is the ultimate example of excelling at the grace of giving. He gave to the point of giving his very life for us. And so it helps us identify with Christ. It also, and this is closely related, but I think bears sort of separating out just a little bit. It also builds within the giver godly character. How many of us have stopped in this uh, idea of giving at the point of good intentions? I know I'm really bad at this. I have great intentions. I'm a really great guy in my head. <laughs> you know, I, I have lots of good intentions. But the fact of the matter is that as we excel in the grace of giving, we learn how to follow through. We learn how to give. And we learn how to rely on God. And so basically, excelling at the grace of giving requires us to exercise godly discipline and sacrifice. And so he writes here, uh, last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. Paul knows human behavior really well, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift of acceptance, uh, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And then finally, excelling at the grace of giving, not finally, but excelling at the grace of giving uh, builds the giver's faith as well. He writes in 8 again, 2 Corinthians 8, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and this is where the faith part comes in, and even beyond their ability. If you want to test your faith, if you want to have your faith built up, give more than you've got to give. Give beyond what you've decided to give. Give sacrificially so that it actually hurts. <laughs> give that much. And it will build your faith because then you become dependent on Jesus Christ to fulfill that commitment. And then finally, and this is something that Paul concludes with, which is actually kind of a promise, a promise in excelling at the gift, the grace of giving. And this is the promise. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Now, if you're struggling with this idea of ministry effectiveness, if you want to be effective in your ministry, here's one way that you can improve it, and that is excelling at the grace of giving. Because there's a promise that comes with it. If you give in the ways that we've been talking about, then God will bless your ministry and you will be effective in all of the good works that you do. 
And so just to summarize, excelling at the grace of giving for the recipient provides assistance, obviously, but also builds mutual empathy, gives that sense of brotherhood and, and someone coming alongside, not to condescend and make you feel like you are beholden to them, but to um, affirm them. It extends hope, the hope that comes with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it also builds their faith. And then for the one who gives, the giver, it helps us identify with Christ. We become like Christ. It builds our character. It builds our faith and improves our ministry effectiveness. And so, back to Acts and that church in Antioch. When they heard about the need in Judea, they decided to take up a collection. And they wanted to excel in the grace of giving. They wanted to to help out, but they would also experience the grace that comes with helping out. And so God is calling us to, to be a people, to be a church, to be Christians who excel at the grace of giving. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, you've given us so much. We know the bounty of your love. What you give us surpasses what anyone on this earth could give us. You give us life. You give us hope. You give us a future. These are intangibles, things that no one can give, but only the Son of God. And so we are so grateful. It's humbling and it's heartening for us to be mindful of what you have done for us. And so, Lord, we want to be like you and we want to excel at the grace of giving. We want to be agents of your grace. We want to spread your grace. We want people as many people as we can possibly affect to experience the grace of God. And so, in whatever shape you call us to give, whether it's friendship or uh, actually physically giving something of food or money, whether it is affirmation, whatever it is, Lord, we know grace comes in many shapes, sizes, and different ways. Lord, whatever it is, help us to excel in it. And help us to keep our hearts open to what we too, the grace that we too will enjoy as we do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.